What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's guest is a legend selling over 130 million records worldwide, making him one of the number one musical selling artists, two albums certified diamond, AJ McLean of the Backstreet Boys. What's up, man? Thank you so much for coming by. Dude, thanks for the invite, bro. The magic of social media. How did you see my DM? I mean, so I, I, I go through, I mean, I get a lot of DMs all the time and I was just kind of siphoning through and... I'll be honest, it's mainly girls. So when I see a guy, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, okay, who is this guy? And then I opened up your page and I was like, oh, cool. And I saw some of the guests that you had on and I was like, all right. And then you had put out the offer to come on your show. And I was like, I I got... I, I got time. Why not? This will be fun. Hell yeah. And then I watched a lot of the other episodes and I just love the whole vibe, dude. It's just a really cool, it's a, it's a, it's a great show. Congrats, man. Thank you so much. Heck yeah. Cool. I love getting right into it. So dive. How'd you process selling a million copies in your first week at 20 years old in the Backstreet Boys? <laughs> I think I'm still processing. Um, that was a different time, you know, like, although it's been done again with the Taylor Swifts of the world, Eminem, um, you know, Adele. There are artists that that still do it today, but it's few and far between. I think Bieber did it also, but it's, you know, in that time, your sophomore album was your, was the, was, that was your most crucial album. So our first album, self-titled Backstreet Boys did great. You know, um, but fortunately for us, Millennium was our second, was our sophomore album. You know, 40 million albums sold. It was a, it was a, it was a definite win, but it was the craziest thing because a million albums the first week, the day we launched, we were at TRL. They shut down Times Square. There was like six, 7,000 people. And then right after we did TRL, we walked next door to this movie theater and we went to the premiere of episode one and sat in the same row next to George. George was right next to me. 
Lucas for any of you young kids that don't know who that is. Of Star Wars. Yes. And I was just like, oh my God. Like, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm a huge Marvel fan. So it was the craziest day, you know, and to like know that this was a moment in history. Like, no one that had ever been on TRL had ever shut down Times Square. Now we're going and we're sitting with George Lucas. We sold a million albums the first week. It's just... It, you you just can't wrap your brain around it. I feel like your schedule was just like performance, award show. It was nonstop. Did you yeah. thrive in that go, go, go environment? I mean, some of us did. Some of us lived for the kind of go, go, go. I'll speak for myself. I loved it. But at that point, we'd already been going pretty hard since 93 before we even had a record deal, doing middle school tours, high school tours. Uh, 96 is when we got signed to Jive Records. And then from that point, they shipped us off to Stockholm. We meet Max and Dennis. We make our first album, which was, we technically call it the Red Album, which was never released anywhere outside of Europe and the rest of the world. The U.S. never got it. It was in, it became an import. Was there just no demand for it in the U.S.? There was, nobody could give a tiny rat's ass about us in the U.S. We used to call the U.S. no fan land. Because when we went over to Germany, Austria, Switzerland, we were the first Western act to go over there along with this other group called EYC um, and literally took off. We opened up for this local Swiss artist, DJ Bobo, um, who I would compare to like, uh, I mean, not the chain smokers, but like, you know, it was that kind of house dance music, but his production was over the top, dancers galore blowing things up and we opened up for him and then pretty soon it was like a Tiffany new kid situation. We ended up getting really big and starting our own tour in Europe. in all, yeah, all throughout Europe. And during that time in the U S it was Dre Snoop and Nirvana. And like, there was no, there was no room for anyone like us. Um, but while we were over in Europe is when the spice girls came out and Hanson. So they blew up in the U S all the while, we're blowing up all over the rest of the world. And from Paris, it leaked into Quebec and Montreal. And then it slowly trickled down into upstate New York. And the local pop stations in Buffalo and then down into like Manhattan, like Z100, finally started going, huh, these guys are from this. Everyone thought we were from the UK. And it's like, no, we're from Florida, pretty far from the UK. And it finally started to spread like wildfire. Um, we we put out, a, uh, our first single we got it going on, we put out all over the world. It peaked here at like 68 on the dance charts, but it went straight to number one everywhere else. So you're going to go where you're popular. And then we came out with Quit Playing Games, which was the video, we're in the rain, our shirts are open, abs, nipple gate. And... MTV was like, we're not going to play this crap. Like, we're not going to do it. And then they just, their hand was kind of forced because the fans wanted it. And shortly after that, MTV had to create TRL because of us. They needed to find a way to retire music videos. And, and to, you know, because back then they had the MTV Top 20 Countdown. You know, they had Headbangers Ball, all of those shows. And they literally created TRL because of us and then because of us and in sync and Britney and Christina and blink 182 and that whole time. And 
you know, we were always either number one or number two every week. How often were you watching the show to see where you were? Every week. Every week I would turn on MTV just to see, because again, this is pre-social media. So you can't just look at your phone and go, oh, we're number one this week. You didn't know. So you had to watch. So in today's world, the way you gauge your popularity and fame is you get more followers and it's pretty instant. Yeah. Is I that mean, how you gauged it then from seeing TRL? Yeah, you would see, see yeah, you would see it through TRL. You would see it in like the magazines if you had the cover. Um, you know, if you had a one page spread, a four page spread. Um, you know, this was back in the day when you actually had to go to the radio station to promote your song. You know, now you do your interviews on Zoom, you know, uh, which I'm sure we all wish we had invested in. Uh, that in Roblox. Um, but I mean, you know, it was a different time. But we still, to this day, we still do the grassroots approach. We've made so many friends in program directors and, you know, now it's iHeart and it's Spotify and, you know, we come from the Napster generation, Napster and LimeWire, which, again, it's either you embrace it or you try to go against it. And it was a shock, you know, people ripping your songs. But then you look at it as, well, it's it's kind of free promotion. Like, I know the artist may not be getting paid, but it's like your song's getting spread like wildfire. So you kind of got to take the good with the bad. Um you know, but we still to this day, like I said, we'll still show up to the radio stations. We'll do the iHeart Awards, the iHeart Music Festivals, and you go and you, you go and still shake hands with these program directors because that handshake still goes a long way. You know, as opposed to DMing them, "Hey, thanks for a great night at the show." No, we're like we're still that old school mentality, and that's why radio still loves us. That's why Spotify loves us. That's why we have the fan base that we have. We're very hands-on group. You know, we're not, we're not the big headed pricks that we could be. We're very blessed. We're very grateful. I mean, 30 years in this business is insane. It's unheard of. Especially groups like us. There are no other groups like us. They're all gone, you know, and some are coming back or trying to come back and hats off to them all. You know, I mean, new kids, once we, once we did the New Kids tour, they've kept going, you know, but they're doing all these tours with other artists from that time period, but it still, it still works. Watching your documentary, you guys have a real bond of friendship. Mm-hmm. Do you guys hang out outside of the concert? Are you guys exploring the town together? Are you going out yeah. to restaurants together? I think it's funny because there was like a lull between, I'd say, 2002 and probably 2013 where, you know, Kevin left for six years in 05, came back in 13. Um, and, you know, the four of us kept going. We did three albums, three tours without him. We all gave each other blessings to carry on and do their own thing. But there was kind of a lull where, like, we were doing our thing, but we were all kind of still burnt out. So, you know, we might occasionally go to dinner here and there, but this tour, this time, ever since Vegas, from from like 17 to now, but really the DNA tour, I'd say from 19 to now, we have been in like inseparable. Four out of five of us play golf every day off. We're on the golf course. We're going shopping. We're going to dinner, um, jumping on each other's buses. Like, I don't know. There's just a different respect for each other now and understanding of like our camaraderie and our brotherhood 
you know, we're all married. We all have kids. Um, we know each other like an open book. And I think during some of the highs and lows, we were still figuring each other out. Um, but I mean, we're the tightest we've ever been. Does it still feel like you guys are those same kids back in Florida trying to make it? Yes and no, because there's still dreams that we've not achieved. We've been nominated for nine Grammys, never won. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like <clears throat> the last time we, we were nominated uh, for our first single off of the DNA record, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, um, <laughs> I told the guys, I said, listen, if we win, I want to talk last. And they're like, no, we don't trust you because we don't know what you're going to say. I'm like, no, 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 no. Just let me say what I'm going to say. And once we found out we didn't win, I, I, we, a, a couple of the guys left because it's like, why are we going to stick around, right? And myself and Nick and our wives stayed for a little while longer than we left to go have dinner. And Nick was like, okay, you got to tell me, what were you going to say? And I said, all right, well. I was going to say if we got the Grammy, I was going to thank my family, thank you guys, thank the fans, and then dedicate the Grammy to Leo DiCaprio and then walk off stage. And he's like, what? Why? I'm like, well, because you know, once you win any award, immediately you go, you go straight to the press room and you, you answer a couple questions, you take pictures and all that stuff. And I know somebody in there is going to be like, uh, why are you dedicating this to Leo DiCaprio? My reason is I feel we are the Leo DiCaprios of the music business. It took him over 30 years to finally win an Oscar for being mauled by a virtual bear. Literally, The Departed, Titanic, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. There's a lot, Shutter Island. There's a laundry list of films he should have won an Oscar for and never did. And then he gets mauled by a bear that's not there and... <laughs> I believe he's vegetarian and he's literally eating raw meat, like true method actor, incredible actor. And he wins his first Oscar. And it's like, what do we have to do to finally get a Grammy? So now that we've been together for 30 years, maybe this next project that we're talking about doing, maybe we'll finally win a Grammy. And I'm still going to do it. I don't care. This is out in the world now. I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to dedicate it to Leo. Are you at all those other Grammy nominations as well? Meaning what? Were you at all those other award shows? Yes, we were at all. Of, we were at all nine. And, and you have no idea who's going to win that night. No, like it's funny because there's there's like little things you find out during award shows. Certain award shows you either know ahead of time. There's always weird like little little like niche things like if you're performing on the show there's a good chance you won or if you're sitting and they're talking about the nominees if a camera's right on you you're like okay maybe but then they started messing with artists then then they started doing it to get the other one's reaction if they lost which is kind of a dick move it's like you're thinking oh my god the camera's on me and then it's like and lady gaga what <laughs> wait what what i mean yay lady gaga <laughs> i love lady gaga but like you know, so, but the Grammys is very by the book because that's voted on by your peers. So do you vote? I do vote. So that is, and you, you can't technically vote for yourself, obviously. So, but that is probably, again, it's the most prestigious of all the awards. The American Music Awards is like a popularity. And then Billboard is all based on streams. 
now, streams and radio, but it, it, it used to only be radio. But now, obviously, it's radio and streams. Um, and then iHeart also, I feel, is more of a popularity. But the Grammys is like, that's, that's the Oscars of our world, you know? So just like the Academy is voting for you. And some of these actors and actresses are on that board. So you're, again, you're voting for your peers, you know? Do you have an entire room of all your awards and plaques and trophies? I do now. I I never wanted to hang any of them up. Why? I, I I don't know. I felt it was a little pretentious. That's just not like I'm 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 also that kind of I I don't like this word, but celebrity that if I'm on a red carpet and I see like someone that I'm a fan of, I won't walk up to them. I just won't. And my wife's always like, "Do you not know who you are? Like they know who you are." I'm like, "Yeah, but I like to respect people's private space. And like, if we make eye contact and they geek out and I geek out, then you know, okay, there's that open comfort level. But I'm not just going to walk up on, you know, uh, whoever, Madonna or someone and be like, oh my God, I'm a massive fan. Like, I just won't do that. And same thing with our like achievements. Like, I know about them. But if we have friends over, it's it's t- it just felt pretentious to me. But my wife went behind my back, God bless her, and we have a music room in our house. And it was strictly just a baby grand piano and my guitars, and that was it. And a couple of little like knickknacks. And she went and she called the label. She called around because I had lost a bunch of my stuff when I moved to California. And uh, little did I know, it was in a storage unit that I forgot about for 15 years that I was paying for $200,000 that I paid for. And I'm like, shit. Uh, but a lot of them were in there. And then some of them she had to actually have remade for me. Like some of the AMAs that I just have no idea where those went. And I came home off the road and she turned the entire room into like a, a shrine, if you will. And it's super sweet. And now I'm proud of it. I mean, I've always been proud of it, but now like when I, when I walk in that room, it's like, yeah, like we did this, like, this is awesome. And there's still a lot of plaques I don't have up, but eventually when we get our forever home, I'm definitely going to put them all up now. Yeah. When I was trying to figure out your accolades, there were just so many to list and I couldn't, I couldn't narrow it down. It's crazy. It really is crazy. I mean, but like I said, there's still a lot of things left for us to achieve, um, you know, winning a Grammy is one of them. Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, Video Vanguard Award. Uh, there's a there's a lot of things that we would aspire to hopefully get to someday. But if we don't, we know in our hearts that we have earned it. 30 years in this business and every single album consecutively has been top 10 or top five consecutively. There are no other, there's only, I think two other artists, this, maybe this has changed now, but a few years back when we did the in a world like this tour, uh, I think it was number one albums consecutively, um, was us Led Zeppelin and Sade. That's it. Like even, um, and, and, and I'm like, wait, Michael Jackson had to be in there, but I guess from what we were told, not consecutively, maybe Michael might've gone up against Prince or somebody else and he was like number two, but 
That's insane. When you that's get, good company, like Sade and Led Zeppelin. It's crazy. I mean, it's polar opposites of us, but it's still, <laughs> that's really awesome company to be in. When you guys would release your albums, did you try and plan it so that you weren't, you didn't know when other artists were releasing their albums, correct? No, but I mean, like labels, labels would talk to labels or labels would know, okay, let's be strategic. If we're going to go up against so-and-so who's got an amazing track record, you know, but like back then it was kind of during this kind of pop explosion, I don't want to say we didn't worry, but we kind of didn't worry that we wouldn't be at least top 10. But at the same time, when there was new artists coming out that were really hot, you kind of have to go, okay, we're going up against Bieber now, or we're going to go up against Taylor, or we're going to go up against Adele. It's like, yeah, we're not going to be number one, but we'll still be top 10. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking we could pull one of the best autographs in the game. But guess what? With zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. What I love is the display of the available cards, the hit rates, and the grading. Arena is a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying. And with Arena Club Slab Packs, they're revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash lightweights. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's $40 right there. Anyways, go to arenaclub.com slash lightweights for 10% off your first purchase. This episode is sponsored by Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning platform available on desktop or as an app, and that it truly immersifies you in the language that you want to learn. Maybe you have an upcoming international trip or you want to connect with a family or a friend. I know a lot of people who want to learn a new language just to pick up a new hobby. I can personally attest to this as I used Rosetta Stone when I went to Italy for my honeymoon. It helped me brush up on the Italian that I learned back in school and I was able to get through the land and speak the native language. It made it so much more fun, plus my wife loved it. They're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish. There's no English translation, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language. Plus, there's lifetime membership and access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off a steal. Don't put off that language learning. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Lightweight's podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language learning courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. It's the Joe Guarantee. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, and we were. And it's just, it's just nuts. And then you like listen to some of these artists. Like we've done a bunch of these radio shows all over the world with some of the biggest acts. And to find out afterwards that some of these big acts were side stage watching our performance, singing our songs is pretty cool. Whether it's Bieber or whoever, like they're fans and it's just nuts. Like I was recently in Vegas for Formula One and before I flew, bumped into my buddies, Drew and Alex, the chain smokers. I've known them for a while. Every single show that they do at Excess, every night, the second to last song in their set is Backstreet's Back. They're big fans. So they're like, dude, since you're going to be here, you got to you gotta come up and do it. And I'm thinking, but their demographic, their crowd, it's Gen Z. I'm like, are they really going to give two craps? Place went nuts. And I was blown away. I was like, this is a bunch of 23-year-olds. Like, they knew every word, rocking out. I put the mic out, yeah. I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would expect this to be a bunch of 35-year-olds, but like, no, but... We've been so fortunate that our music has transcended and it's gone from our fans to their kids. And like kids my daughter's age look at us like a brand new group. And it's just insane. When you look out into our crowd, it's five to eighty-five. And it's just and it just keeps growing. It's nuts. Do you remember the first time the five of you all sang together still? Yep. We were in a uh we had a band house that we called it, which was kind of our rehearsal house. Nick and I were getting tutored there. Was it a house house? It was an actual house in this little community back in Orlando. Um the gentleman that put us together, Lou Perlman, uh was renting the house for us to have a place to kind of do our dance rehearsals. We converted the garage into a dance studio. And once we got Brian, once we got all five of us together. Uh, we sat in the garage cause the acoustics were nice and we picked out the, uh, the harmonies to boys to men's remake of a Beatles song yesterday and, or no, sorry. It's so hard to say. Yeah. It's so hard to say goodbye to, uh, to, uh, yesterday. And we just knew in that moment, like this is it because there were two other members before Kevin and Brian and they didn't work out. We got Kevin and then Kevin kept talking about, I've got this cousin He's in Kentucky. I know he can sing. I think he can dance. Uh, and he gave him a call, and then the rest is history. But we picked out the harmonies, and we just knew. Like, it was undeniable. Our blend and everything, we're like, okay, this is it. And two weeks later, we did grad night at SeaWorld. And that, I mean, April 20th of 1993 is our, that's our moment. Literally just past April, we just celebrated 30 years because of this. It's just nuts. That's unreal. It is, man. It's, I still pinch myself. I mean, honest to God, like I wake up every day and I think to myself, wow, like we've walked through hell and back together and we could have very easily, there's many times we thought about just calling it from being burnt out to the industry, just shifting to whatever it was, stress, rehab, deaths in the family, all of it. And we kept pressing on. So thank God. <laughs> you being the first Backstreet Boy member, did you have much say in who was auditioning and who you wanted else as part of the group? I mean, I was there for the audition process. I choreographed for anyone who didn't bring a, like a, like a pre-made dance routine. Cause that was the requirement. Come do a song and then 
two counts of eight so we can see if you've got rhythm and you can dance. And a lot of them did and some of them didn't. So I choreographed two counts of eight. And uh, But yeah, I mean, I was the OG. So it's been 31 years for me. I met Lou in, 90, in 1992. Um, I and just you, got, were just, you were the first one? Like I was the knew. first, the OG. I had just gotten fired off of a show uh, on Nickelodeon uh, that got picked up by ABC. It got canceled halfway through the season, so I don't really regret it. And right at that time as well, <clears throat> Nick had gotten a offer to be on the, on the Mickey Mouse Club, like a cash offer. And he was 12. And his mom literally gave him the option like, okay, you've got this on the table. You're, you're guaranteed to be a Mouseketeer. Or you could take a chance on this vocal group and see where it goes. That's a big responsibility to put on a 12-year-old, but I think he picked the right thing. But what's trippy, though, is had he gone the Mouse Club route, he would have been on the same season as Justin, Ryan Gosling, JC, and Brittany, and Christina. Wow. So he might have been in, in sync, if you really think about it. So, And who knows who would have been our Nick? It could have been somebody completely different. And I just don't think it would have worked. It just, it just wouldn't have been the same. This is the Backstreet Boys. So if it's anyone else, it just would not work. I don't think. You're a natural born performer. You've been doing it since you were a kid. Thank you. When you guys would do rehearsals for songs, mm -hmm. obviously there was a lot of dancing, but then you get to a song and you're just sitting on a stool. Are you relieved that you don't have to move around <laughs> yeah. for that one? I mean, back then we were younger and, you know, we could eat. 10 quarter pounders in a day and your metabolism just burns it off in milliseconds. But I mean, we enjoyed it. Like we were having fun because we were young and we we're naive and we we're, and we're anxious and we were motivated. Um, you know, and we still, I mean, we have two 50 plus year old members and we're still dancing 85% of our show. It's crazy. I mean, we're still, I mean, we feel it afterwards, but I mean, we are, we're performers. We're, we're showmen. we, until we get to the, as we call it, the Eagles phase of our career, where we have to sit on stools, we're not going to, you know? And we've dumbed down some things. Like, we're not doing kip-ups anymore or any backflips or any of that kind of crap. You know, I can still do a cartwheel, but, like, we're not doing any of the calisthenics that we used to do. But there's still certain moves that the fans want to see. You know, the Backstreet's back, we have to do. You know, Larger Than Life, we have to do. The hat routine from All I Have to Give... You know, the chair routine from as long as you love me. Like there's certain staples the fans just want to see. And again, we're going to do it until the wheels fall off. Do you have a favorite music video that you guys ever did? Um, You know, it Backstreet's Back was like a huge event. And it was our first time working with an amazing director, Joseph Kahn, who's done, he did Larger, Incomplete, Backstreet's Back, I want to say he did a fourth, but I know he did three videos. Um, and that was such a cool experience, you know, I mean, because I'm a huge horror buff. And to be classic movie monsters, it was a three-day shoot. Um, that was my favorite. But if I may be, uh, I don't want to say the word vain, but uh, our one of our last videos, a song off of the DNA album, a song called Chances, uh, I actually directed the video with my friend Renee. Uh, it was the first time any Backstreet Boys gotten behind the camera. We, my 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 partner and I, wrote the treatment. The boys were a little standoffish, like I don't know. Let's see what other treatments. You know, maybe having you direct may not 
you know, I don't know if you're really a director. And it turned out to be absolutely breathtaking. It's something like 70 or 80 million views on YouTube. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful video, beautiful song written by Ryan Tedder and, uh, actually Ryan Tedder and, oh my gosh, um, I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, he was dating Camilla for a while. Um, Shawn Mendes? Shawn Mendes, thank you. God, I couldn't think of his name. Uh, he actually co-wrote it with, uh, with, uh, Tedder. So, um, it was a beautiful video. We shot it at the train station downtown and, uh, yeah, but I mean, then I also love the video for the call because it's the only video we don't perform. It's a mini movie and uh, Francis Lawrence directed it, who did the original Constantine, uh, you know, so that kind of visual, kind of gothic. And this was during the Black and Blue album, which was a very dark period for us, um, which is why we called the album Black and Blue. We, it was a play on words in the sense we kind of felt abused at that point. Like the label was just pushing us, pushing us, pushing us. We didn't have any breaks. We were burnt out. You know, that was right before I went to rehab for the first time. We were just done. And while we were shooting the album shoot, we didn't have an album title yet. And we're in black and blue outfits and we're like, yeah, this is what we're going to call it. Black and blue. And, uh, but that video is just really, really cool. You know, I mean, it literally looks like like the Dark Knight or like Constantine or like, I don't know. It's just a really dope video to this day. For big decisions like that, are the five of you collectively deciding this is the treatment for the music video? This is the album artwork. This is what we're calling it. I mean, then it was kind of a collaboration between us and the label, but predominantly us uh, because we're the ones that have to do it. I mean, but the label had to pay for it. Uh, but you know, and after we were done with our, with our label deal, uh, it was us and our, you know, management team, but really mainly us, you know, we, we all have visions and we all have great ideas and, you know, it's still five personalities, but we definitely always come to kind of an agreement. but if not, it's all democratic because it's an uneven amount of us. So if, if, if three of us say this mic stand is purple, it's purple. Sorry, guys. That no, it's black. It's purple. So you you got to make it even, and you know it's it's push and pull. In the documentary, there's an argument of oh, you guys yeah. sitting at the table. Yeah, sure is. Would you have many arguments like that? I feel like everyone kind of has their way of navigating through it to make sure that there is a result, and everyone's still friends, and collectively everyone's happy together. Yeah, I mean we're brothers. We're gonna fight. We're gonna cry. We're gonna laugh. Uh, the only physical fights, ironically, were only between Nick and I. Um, but there's a there's a ten year gap between Nick and Kevin. Um, so they would argue, but never go, you know, to blows. Nick and I did go to blows twice for s- dumb, stupid crap. The first time was over a, a comic book. <laughs> Nick, I I kind of went through this really awkward acne phase. You know, teenage years. I think I was maybe six, 16, maybe 15, 16. Were you living in the band house at the time? Uh, no, no, no. I was living at home. Nick was at home. And Howie, Kevin, and Brian were living together in a three-bedroom apartment in this rent-controlled kind of ghetto area of, of Orlando. And uh, Nick had just got Alien versus Predator number one. And he kept he kept messing with me. And I had already started smoking cigarettes, so I had a lighter in my pocket and I was like, dude, keep on, 
keep on saying some stupid shit. And I grabbed his comic and remember how I like the old school Bic lighters, you could adjust the flame height. I didn't know it was all the way up. And I was just going to like mess with him and fart around. And I lit that thing and it went up in flames so fast. And then to make it worse, I threw it in the sink and tried to make it go out. And it, I just destroyed it. So then he gets me in a headlock and just starts wailing on the back of my head. Kevin comes running out of the shower naked, like breaks us up. Howie's sitting on the couch with some popcorn, like he wants to watch the fight. I was like, Jesus Christ, dude. Then right right before a show, uh, we had a meeting, which we've now learned don't have meetings before shows. Do it after the show in case it goes sideways. In this case, it went sideways. Some of the guys were burnt out. They wanted they wanted more time off. I was like, let's go do our job. Let's go, you know, make some money. Let's go see our fans. Let's go travel the world. And Nick wasn't having it again. And uh, literally just jumped at me and we started going at it in our little portable trailer. And then he, tr- he threw a lamp and it almost hit Brian. And then Brian was like, dude. And he, Brian broke us up and we were still fumed. But the minute we got on stage, it was like something clicked. And then we were cool. Like Nick and I would always, even if we didn't like apologize, it was just understood. And we're, and we're the two youngest, you know. But since then, it's been like grown up debates. Nobody's yelling, screaming, throwing things. We've, we've, we have done that. You know, somebody will throw a water bottle at the wall or, you know. The first big fight, Brian, we were in our little nasty, sweaty rehearsal hall. And Brian and Kevin, they're family. So family's really going to go at it. They know each other. They're blood. And Brian just snapped and he like grabbed his ass and he's like, Kevin, get out of my ass. And like grabbed his ass and like punched the wall. And he punched through the drywall and he he was like inches away from the beam. He would have broke his hand. But I was like, damn, okay. Don't piss off Brian. He'll punch you. But no, like no one's ever like, no blood's been drawn. Feelings have been hurt. You know, we're all, we're all sensitive guys, you know, and you could say something that will stick with somebody for a while. And then eventually it'll be like, Hey man, you know what? You remember that time I said that thing? Uh, I'm sorry. I was in that. That was me. I was in a different place, you know? And since I've been sober now over two years, like, I've kind of gone back to some of the guys just on my own time and just been, Hey man, you know, just want to make amends for some of the stuff I did or some of the things I said. And they're like, Hey man, look, we've been through hell and back with you, with each other. It's water under the bridge, but thank you. Thank you for manning up and holding yourself accountable and taking the time out of your day to call and make the effort. I think um, that's what makes your bond so strong now. The five of you guys recognize that you are brothers. We are. We're, this is our first marriage. Before any actual marriage, this was our first marriage. I mean, this is... I hate to say this, but if there were no kids involved and all of us, God forbid, got divorced, we'd still have each other. Because this this was first. This is our life but now we have balance balance is key balance and boundaries um you know now family does come first 
you know, for me, I couldn't balance between AJ and Alex. And a lot of that is why I went down the dark path that I went because I wasn't being authentic. I was still in AJ mode when I would walk off stage. And, uh, you know, recently when we finished up the DNA tour in May, uh, I went to Arizona for 10 weeks uh, for mental health for myself, uh, for some past trauma, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and to really get to the root of why I went down the path that I did because I've never taken the time to do it. And I learned about my true authentic self. I learned that all of us innately, we're born with value and self-worth. Even if I'm on death row, I still have worth and I still have value. I just made bad choices. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm a bad person. And that's how I look at myself now. I'm not working right now. So I'm Alex. I'm just a goofy dude from Palm Beach, Florida. But when I go back to work, I'm going back to work. It's my job. I love what I do. But it, now I look at it as a job. Because that's the only way for me to have a true healthy balance between reality, being a dad, being a husband, which is most important to me, and then going to do something that I love. Like, yes, it's a job, it's, but it's fun as shit. You know, and I get to travel the world and I get to meet new people and try new food and new cultures and bring people joy through music for two hours a night. Never getting to know them on a personal level, you know, but now I have this balance and I have boundaries. I never knew what boundaries were. Save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You know, no, no one teaches us. Our parents don't teach us what boundaries are when we're kids, you know? So I'm 45 and I'm learning what boundaries are, but better late than never. Is that you discovering it while you were there in Arizona? Yep. Yep. While I was there, fell in love with this woman who we we watched a bunch of her TED Talks. Uh, her name is Brene Brown and she is incredible. If you get a minute, watch any of her YouTube videos. She's so inspiring. Uh, she has a mantra, uh, which is this acronym, BRAVING, which I got tattooed on my arm while I was in Arizona, which stands for Boundaries, Reliability, Accountability, Vault, Integrity, Non-Judgment, and Gratitude. Those, those words, that's how I live every single day now. And still on this journey of self-discovery, but at least now I know I am enough. I'm good enough. I have worth, I have value. Another thing I learned while I was there is if it doesn't fit, don't wear it. I'm not taking on anyone else's shit anymore. I'm not gonna carry the weight of anyone or anything because I'm a people person. I'm a people pleaser. I wanna make sure everyone's good and then I take care of me last. And now I'm putting myself first. And it's, it's a game changer. Everyone, there is a healthy selfish. There really is. But until you dig deep enough to find that, 
we automatically as humans think, well, if you're selfish, you're a prick. No, not necessarily. There is a bad selfish, of course, you know, and there's, but there's also selfless, you know, which is that good selfish. Do you think that's because you were being pulled in every direction? Yeah, I mean that and just believing certain things from a from a young age and holding on to those ideas. And then next thing you know, this whirlwind of Backstreet Boys happens and you're just you're just riding the wave. You don't think for a second, damn, I need to like take a minute and regroup. I need to like I'm getting kind of lost in the sauce here. No. You don't think that and and I surrounded myself with shitty people. So like no one's going to be like, dude, you need to pump the brakes, man. Like you're getting a little out of control. There was nobody, you know, my bandmates did, but they didn't know the extent of how bad I was. So like we say in like the world of AA and these things, it worked until it didn't. And then I tried to make it work and it was like, no, dude, you're just falling all over yourself. Like it's, it's not going to work anymore. Yeah. You know, like, like the old phrase, our parents said, shit or get off the pot. And I, re- I refused to get off the pot. Not weed. I wasn't a weed guy. I was much, much harder than that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, now, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I wake up with a different outlook on things. And the past two years, I've been working on my very first solo project, like true solo album. And it shows. Sober during the entire time. This journey I've been on. You can You can hear it and you can experience it with this music it's insane it's night and day that's great yeah when's that expected to come out uh so i'm basically uh going to kind of against the grain instead of putting a full lp out i'm going to do two eps and then a follow-up lp the first two eps will probably have about five or six songs and then we'll f- wrap things up with the lp in the fourth quarter of this of next year with about four more songs so i think it's about 18 or 19 songs total do you have a producer in mind um I've worked with, with the same producer. I mean, we're we're pretty much done. Now we're getting into the mixing process. Um, my producer, his name is Killa B. Uh, he's worked with everybody from Chris Brown, Ariana, um, you name it. Urban producer, but also gets the pop world. Um, but my sound is definitely not the Backstreet Boys sound. Um, you know, I dabbled in the country space for a minute pre-COVID, and then at, during COVID, I was like, you know what? I don't want to have to start this all over again. So I started going back to what I really am passionate about, which is R&B and soul and funk and like 80s vibe, like we talked about earlier. And all of that combined is what this is what makes up this whole album. And the final process, I flew to Atlanta, got back in the studio with T-Pain. We did some amazing songs. Uh and then in turn, he hit me up when he was here in LA shooting his video for his most recent single. And he's like, dude, bro, I got to get an AJ cameo. I'm like, I'm there. Didn't know I was going to drive two hours to Palmdale. But but the irony though is the location we shot the video at was where we shot our Never Gone album shoot. It was trippy. And that was back in 05. And it's it literally in the middle of nowhere in Palmdale and it's been used in multiple videos. Um, it's like a diner gas station, and they just convert it into different things. In this case, it was turned into a biker bar uh, as an homage to Paul Rubens and Pee Wee Herman and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I knew immediately when I rolled up on set, 
just based on his suit and bikers. I'm like, wait, are you doing are you are you doing a peewee thing? And he's like, man, heck yeah, man, oh yeah. And we literally like it was shot for shot. It was oh, it was so much fun. Can you vividly remember all those music video shoots, album shoots, fo- uh, oh yeah, magazine shoot? You did so much. That's crazy. I remember most, if not all. Um, you know, a lot of the video shoots definitely because those are either a day or two of of your life. So you're, you know, and they're long days. So those kind of stick out to you. How much notice are you getting for that? I mean, we get if there's a lot of choreography. Obviously, there's a, a couple weeks prior of us gearing up for it. Um, the call was the was the first time I ever did drugs. Was the the night we shot that. And I didn't know what to expect. And I was gacked out of my mind. And I'm telling everybody in wardrobe. And they're all like, you might want to not talk about this. And my boys had no idea. Because that was a night shoot. We didn't start shooting until 2 in the morning. And we shot till sunrise. And uh, But yeah, I was not in a good way. But, um, but like Backstreet's Back, again, that was our longest video shoot. Because it took minimum, I think... Kevin and I were the were the shortest in the makeup chair. I was about four hours. Kevin was like three hours. But like, you know, Brian and, and Howie, those guys, it took time. Um, and then you got to take it all off and then put it all back on again the next day. So that one took a while. And like the crew hand painted that spiral floor, built the set from hand. So it was a whole ordeal. When you release Backstreet's Back, are all five of you watching MTV for the premiere to see how oh, yeah. they tee it up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We watched it and... The countdown, five. Oh, yeah. Four, it was... Yeah. Three. Yeah. I mean, actually... Well, that one, I think... That one, I'm not sure if, if we watched together. The, the final edit of Larger Than Life, we watched on a VHS in Milan at the Versace store. We were there... Uh, we had popped in to say hi to Donatella and all this stuff. And we were literally sitting in this little, like, like a VIP room where I guess they would do like celebrity, like custom fittings, whatever. And they had a TV and a VCR and we popped it in and we watched like the final edit before it went to MTV. And then I'll never forget after it was done, we're like, do it again. (laughs) We want to see it again. Do it again. And we watched it like three or four times in a row and we're like, that was awesome. You know, because now these last few videos, like we've been able to be really heavily involved in the editing process because there might be certain frames that certain members don't like or whatever. Or maybe we need to go back and do some color correction or whatnot. But back then it was in the hands of the director, the editor and the label. So we would see one little rough cut, like a minute, and then we'd see the final. So there was no notes, you know, but yeah, it was a whole different time. How'd you guys decide who sings what parts? Boxing ring. We go at no, no. <laughs> fist fight. Uh, in fist the fight. Octagon. We do rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> um, no, like back in the day when we first met Max and Dennis and the Sharon team, you know, they didn't really know our voices yet. So we all would go in and kind of sing something on the mic and then they were they would just kind of go from there. And our first album, the red album, Nick and Brian were predominantly the front men. Um, And it wasn't until Backstreet Boys, the U S first album that like I kind of found my voice and Kevin and Howie 
And at that point, enough time had gone by that Max Max knew, okay, first verse is AJ, second verse is so-and-so, bridge is so-and-so, and that's how it stayed. It was a well-oiled machine until probably, uh, I would say the Never Gone album was like the first time we really, because that was a departure. It was more of a stripped down album, more raw, live instrumentation. It wasn't as much synths and like sequence drums. It was live stuff, um, more organic, if you will. We, we knew each other's voices well enough by then to go, you know what, AJ, why don't you go sing that part? Um, even if the, even if the producer was like, okay, Kevin, you're singing this, Kevin might be like, you know what? It doesn't really feel right in my, in, in my register. Let's have Nick do it. And it would just kind of, we would help each other, you know? And this last record DNA, like we, we all really knew because we actually worked with a lot of new producers and, and like new writers. So who had never worked with us. So we just knew going in, Hey, I heard the demo this person sounds good here. Or one of us might come in and go, hey guys, I love this song. I really, really want to sing this part. Okay, cool. And if I go in and I sound like crap, then someone else will do it. You know, but really, especially the Christmas album, we literally A&R'd that entire record. What does ourselves. that mean? We, we designated who was going to sing what amongst us five. It was the first time ever. But there was certain songs that like say like for example, I never heard same old Lang Syne, never heard it in my life. But Kevin and Brian grew up with that song, so they were both spearheading. Hey, we want to be featured on this song because it's the one that we brought to the table. It's personal to us. For me, have yourself a merry little Christmas. One of my favorites of all time. I wanted to be featured on that song. So we we just knew. Okay, if I brought this song, that's my song. Or let's sit and talk through all the songs. We had like 30 Christmas songs combined and had to narrow it down. Um, but once we got to like the nuts and bolts, we just knew who was going to sing what. And then we did two originals that we're super proud of. Um, all the while making a Christmas album in July in flip-flops and shorts. In California. In California <laughs> in 90 degree weather. It's so random. Yeah. But you have to because Christmas albums have to be like ready to go by the end of August. So, because you put them out basically September, October. And this is our first one in 30 years. We've had two Christmas singles prior, but this is our first Christmas album ever in 30 years. Has the idea ever been on the table before? It has. We just never had time. We're usually on tour in the summer. So, there's no time. And we didn't want to rush this. This is near and dear to us. Like, this is... We've wanted this for so many years. It's like, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. And again, thank you, COVID, where there was nothing else to do. We, we weren't on tour. So it's like, hey, let's get in the studio. Let's finally do this. And we gave ourselves, I think it took about two months of actual vocal recording. And then we missed the boat that year because of mixing. We didn't have time. And then we released it the following year. You guys are all in the studio at the same time, mm -hmm. hammering out the vocal. That's so, well, so wild. On this particular project, yes. Prior albums, we started doing something a little differently because some members 
have no concept of time and they show up late. I won't name names, Kevin, um, <laughs> who lives in Kevin world. Um, and because of Kevin, fans have now said this new thing called Backstreet Time, where we're late as a group, but we're waiting on one member. Uh, I love you, buddy. You know I do. Um, but I'm not telling a lie. It's true. But um, we we started doing this thing because, you know, some of us, we got to pick up our kids or if, you know, most of our recording was done here in California. So if I got to go pick my girls up from school or Kevin's got his boys in soccer practice or whatever, we would space it out. So somebody would come in from 10 to 10, 10 to 12 and then they can go do whatever they got to do. And we'd split it up. And then by the end of the night, everybody would come in to do group background harmonies or individual harmonies, or during our solo moments, we would cover all of it, our leads and our backgrounds. And then if you're done, you're done and you just go home and have, go do the rest of your day. That's that healthy balance, you know, otherwise there's times where all five of us would be in the studio and three of us would be done. And the other two guys were falling asleep. It's like midnight and we haven't saying anything. And you're just like, well, why, then why am I here? Yeah. You know, or if you don't sing, it's still good to be there because you might have an idea or you might, you might hear a totally random harmony and be like, Hey, try this. And it's dope. You know? So like, like I said earlier, it's that push pull. When you guys would tour high schools, mm-hmm. how do you think that conditioned you for the future? Being forced to perform in people who didn't pay tickets to come see you, but you had to win them over. And didn't know you from Adam. You know, you're in a high school gymnasium with a bunch of high school kids. And high school kid, high school and middle school kids, they're mean. Like, they're mean. <laughs> they will boo you if they don't like you. Uh, or they'll cheer. I mean, we were, you know, five goofy kids all wearing our Reebok tracksuits and doing choreography and singing songs that nobody had ever heard. But it wasn't until we started singing a cappella that we really kind of would captivate the crowd. But I'll, I'll never forget, it was in, I want to say it was Washington, D.C., and I could be wrong, but it was a a school that was 75% black, 20% Hispanic, 5% white. And we were in the auditorium. Oh, sorry, we were in like the little theater. Two songs in, sound goes out. And they were booing us and telling us to leave and like, get out, you guys suck. And Brian was like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. If you guys are quiet, we'll sing for you with nothing. And we did the rest of the show straight acapella. Any acapella song we knew, whether it was Shy or Color Me Bad or Jodeci or Boys to Men. And then after the show, all those same dudes that were dogging us were like, all right, respect. Like, wow, you, y'all could sing. And it was in that moment that like we realized this is really where it's at for us. Like we are a vocal harmony group. Yeah. The dancing's fun. It's cool, but it's all always been about the music first. And I mean, we've been in cases where we've been almost booed off stage, but we've, but with them, we, we like reeled them back in with the vocals, Yeah, you know? So, cause when we broke in the, you know, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, there was other groups out like us, which is where the name boy band came from. It was a European thing. We were like, please don't call us that because a boy band in Europe was a group of guys where one, maybe two sang and the other guys were just pretty faces. 
in our case, we all can sing and we could sing a cappella. None of those groups could do a cappella. So we kept pushing in every interview. We're a vocal harmony group, not a boy band. And then we obviously brought that phrase back with us and it's now stuck. And even if you're One Direction who don't dance, you're five good looking guys who sing, you're a boy band. So technically, was that does that make the Beatles would be a boy band? Um, the Eagles, they did harmonies. They could be a boy band. So, if you th- I mean, if you really think about it. When you had that sell- seven album contract with Jive, mm-hmm. did you feel like you were set? You made it? Yes. And at, the, at well, at the time, yes. But then midway through when we were burnt out and the label kind of just didn't really seem to care. They just wanted to make money and keep us out on the road and make record after record. At that point, we were like, eh, but we're stuck. Like, we have to finish this deal. And that was one of the main reasons why Kevin left. He just wasn't inspired anymore. And he was like, the label doesn't know what to do with us anymore. Like, after Millennium and Black and Blue, it's like, where do you go from there? You know? And he was just like, guys, I'm just, I, I'm not inspired anymore. I want to go start a family. I want to do this, that, and the other. But the label just doesn't really seem to care. So, you know, but we still kind of grinned and bared it and made it through. But I mean, like literally that day we were done, we were like, thank God we're done. We're free. Now we can do what we've always wanted to do and just be ourselves. And even though we, we went right back into a major record deal for DNA and for the Christmas album, but it wasn't a 360 deal. It was an, it was a true old school record deal, you know, cause nowadays it's this 360 thing where the label gets a piece of everything which is not cool. Um, But labels also know, as an artist now, you really make all your money touring. Nobody sells millions of albums anymore. Even if you're like Taylor, she might sell a million, but that's it. No one's selling 30 million copies of their album anymore. Those days are long gone. But if you're doing a $5 billion tour, you're doing just fine. And the 360 takes a part of the tour. They take merch. They take all that stuff. So it's like they take a piece of everything, essentially. So it's not just publishing and whatever. It's literally they get a little piece of everything. How close were you with those other artists from the time, like the Britneys, the Christinas, the Blinks? I mean, you know, Britney and Christina, we knew. Obviously, in sync, we knew. I mean, we're same label, same management. So we knew everybody. Um, but, uh, Blink, we didn't really know. We just knew that they did a video that made fun of all of us. And it went to like number one on TRL with all the small things. What'd you think of that? I mean, look, some of the guys were not happy about it. I didn't give a tiny rat's ass. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cool. It's like, there was three things back then that if, if it, if those three things happened to you, you've, you've got to be like, okay, we've made it. Weird Al did a parody. You know you made it. Beavis and Butthead talked about us. You know you made it. And if a group as big as Blink was making fun of all the groups, again, it's a form of flattery. You know what I mean? And, you know, I've talked to Mark and some of those guys over the years, and they would even admit, like, yeah, we didn't like you guys because you guys were killing it on TRL, but your music is great. 
like we're all musicians. We know a good song when it, when you hear it. But you know, it's like we have a look, you have a look. We got to not be like all up your butt. We got to stay true to to like our punk alternative vibe and our fans. If we start talking in interviews and start singing Backstreet Boys songs, our fans might be like, "What?" You know? So but it it, it it was such a phenomenon of a time for all of us. I mean, it really was. It was nuts, you know? I mean, even Drew Hill and, I mean, Kelly Clarkson, like all of it, it was all during that time. How'd your appearance in This Is The End come about? So one of our managers at the time reached out to me uh, first, personally, and said, hey... Seth Rogen's a big fan. Uh, they have this movie. They reference you guys in the first 10 minutes of the film. And they don't have an ending, but this is what they have an idea. So I read the script, and I, then it was sent to the rest of the fellas. And you know, some of the guys were like, as long as this isn't going to make us look stupid, why not? And when we got on set, come to find out Jay Baruchel was even more of a fan didn't even need to learn the choreography. He knew it. He knew it because him and Seth, Canadians, Jay being from Canada, he knew because Canada, they love us in Canada. And he <laughs> he grew up with us. He knew the choreography without us having to show it to him. Seth and Craig, we had to teach. Um, I was a little bummed that like Jonah and the other guys weren't part of that moment, but obviously they went to hell and... <laughs> didn't go to heaven. Sorry if I'm spoiling it for anyone that hasn't seen that movie, but it is like, I went and saw it the day that it was released and I went with some friends and I went to the arc light, but the, but the one over in the Valley that has the 21 and up theater. And I went with some friends and there was like a group of 10 guys, all sloppy drunk. And I'm like, um, and I started sinking in my seat when we came on and they just, they knew every word. They were singing, they're like, back streets, back, all right. I was like, okay, this is cool. Yeah. Like, and it was, that was actually a game changer because right after that is when we got our residency in Vegas and then that just ramped everything back up. So thank you, Seth and everybody for kind of reigniting a fire because it really, truly did. How was the residency for you guys? It was a blast. I mean, honestly, we're going to do it again, I hope. Um, I don't know when. Uh, we we have something massive coming in 25. I can't say what it is, but uh, it's going to blow people's minds. You didn't tell me at all, but I feel like I know. It's going <laughs> to be ridiculous. Um, I, all, all I can say is no, no group like us has ever done what we're going to do. After that cycle is done, we would like to go back to Vegas. It was such a cool experience because it's such an like in this like huge international hub and it's easier for us, you know, to be in one place and everybody come to you so much that Nick moved there. He's been there since 17 and he loves it. And your set just stays the same. Yeah, it would say the same. And I mean, you know, over time, we morphed certain things. We changed some of the production, changed wardrobe. Um, which you do. I mean, if you do a five or seven year deal, you're going to change. The show's got to go somewhere. Um, any of the other shows that I've seen have morphed over time. Blue Man Group, I've seen about, a God, hundreds of times. I know all the guys, all the cast. Uh, Chris Angel's a really good friend of mine. His show is, is always changing. You have to keep it fresh. 
So, but this last one, the larger than life residency was so big. If we go back, it's got to be bigger than that. So it's Vegas. Everything's big. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen, you know? So we'll see. Do you have a favorite performance you've ever done? I think one of the cool ones that we did, well, two, there's two cool ones. One we did... Uh, myself, Kevin, and Howie performed with Stevie Wonder and Aretha Franklin. Uh, I was honoring Aretha, uh, and it was just, I mean, legends that you're performing with. And then back in the day, VH1 had a show called Men Strike Back, which was the male version of Divas that they had. And we got to perform with Sting, and we did I Want It That Way, and Sting sang my verse, and I was perfectly fine backing out, letting Sting sing my verse, and then there's a performance I missed because my grandfather was dying um, that the boys did in Hyde Park in London with Elton John. And Elton sang my verse. Again, I'm totally fine with Mr. Mr. Sir Elton John doing my verse if I want it that way. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, those will always stand out to me. Like, they're just incredible moments. That... And performing for the president, performing for the Obamas was incredible. We did a Christmas special with Anna Kendrick and Hugh Jackman. Um, and I'll never forget when I sang my part, Michelle was like really into it. And she was like, like, sing it, boy. And I'm like, yeah, because I mean, my favorite president and she is just it's Michelle Obama. I mean, she's a legend, a rock star. And that was just a cool moment, man. Like, I still want to go play golf with with Obama at some point. When you get a call to go play golf with Obama or when you get a call to go perform in front of him, do you get nervous ever anymore? Um, Even for Dancing with the Stars? Well, it's like a healthy nerve. Like, it's not... Like, I don't get nervous. Because, like, I'm alive kind of thing? Yeah, like, I pinch myself. I'm like, okay, you know... For some of us, performing on award shows is probably the most nerve-wracking because you are in front of your peers. But doing our shows, it's us doing us. But or doing TV, you know, it's TV unless it's live, and then you, and then you know, if something goes south, something goes south. But most of the shows are taped. You know, you tape that afternoon and it airs that night. So if something goes really south, you can do it again. Performing for the Obamas was a little nerve-wracking. We got to meet the president prior to, and I thought it was awesome because he had a little cue card in his pocket. So he's like, oh, nice to meet you, Brian. Here I go. Big, big fan. And I wanted to so badly take a selfie with him because he was like the king of selfies with all these celebrities. But I'm like, my phone is in my jacket pocket. They're secret service. If I put my hand in, I'm going to be tackled or tased. And I should have just said, excuse me, Mr. President, can I get a selfie? And I, I guarantee he would have said yes, but I froze. And, but in turn, I got like 10 selfies with Wolverine. So it all worked out in the end. What do your kids think when you tell them that I'm going to perform in front of the president? I mean, I don't even know if they were born yet. Um, my youngest definitely wasn't. My oldest was, I think, really little. Um, but they love Obama and my daughters love Michelle. So I, they've seen that performance and they all, they always like, look, she's, she's so into you, dad. And it's just, it's just a, a cool moment. Cut to when Michelle did her book tour. 
uh, I got my wife tickets to do the meet and greet and her and her mom went and like, that was like awesome moment. Like my, my wife doesn't geek out that much over people. And, but this particular woman is like a legend to her. So it was really cool that I could, I could get that set up for her. To your kids. Are you like dad? Or are you like dad, the pop star? It's dad. Or my oldest calls me father and I hate it. Father. I'm like, can you not call the last couple of days? She called me bruh. And I'm like, you are not calling me bruh. All right. Screw that TikTok crap. You're not. It's dad or daddy. You're not calling me bruh. Or you will literally you'll be grounded. Like you're not calling me bruh. Come on, fam. Um, You know, but uh, no, like they call me dad um, or daddy. Uh, we all have nicknames. The three of us have nicknames for each other. Um, you know, my oldest is butt cheese. My youngest is laddie, uh, which is lyric mixed with daddy. And then I'm father and I hate it. It's like, I feel like I am your father. Like it's so not, I don't know why it bothers me, but like, and they do it on purpose. They, they normally call me daddy or dad, but every so often if I'm not responding or, or, or I'm distracted, my oldest will be like, father. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not responding until you say it right. I'm not good. And then a handful of times it's Alex. I'm like, what? No, don't call me by my name. That's weird. Have they gotten into the uh, horror yet? Okay, daughter. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry. Have they gotten into the horror genre yet? Behind my back. Yes. They've sneaked on YouTube watching excerpts from the first it, which I, I'm terrified of clowns, but it's different because Pennywise talks. Most clowns don't talk, so that bothers me. And I was terrified as a child and traumatized. So that and spiders. Those are my two things I can't deal with. A clown dressed as a spider, I'm going to drop dead. Eight-legged freaks? Yeah. I love that movie. I oh, mean, that doesn't freak but you out? No, because it's like spiders that are as big as this room. Like, that's not realistic. But like arachnophobia? Nope. Nope. Because that's like realistic size spiders. Can't do it. But they do like horror. My oldest more so than my youngest. My youngest is into like, they're both Marvel girls. I got them hooked on Marvel. And like, they know that like Robert Downey is a good friend. So they're always like, daddy, have you talked to Iron Man lately? And I'm like, his name is Robert. Uh, and no, I haven't. But it, if and when I do, I'll tell him that you said hi. Because back in the day, before my youngest was born, it was just my oldest. She was about two years old. Uh, Robert invited my wife and my daughter over for hot cocoa on Christmas day. And my wife freaked out because she's not, again, she doesn't do the whole celebrity thing. And we show up and first words out of Robert's mouth is, Oh, thank God you're here. And my wife's like, what is with y'all's relationship? And I was under the impression it was just going to be Robert and his wife and his kids. And there was a few more people there. One of them was Amy Adams and she's a sweetheart. And my wife was like, okay, I can't do this now. I can't. Like, she's a big fan of Amy. And she's like, I can't, I can't. So she spent time with, like, the housekeeper and didn't want to do anything. And we all went for a walk on the beach. And Robert was talking with Amy and a bunch of other people. And he dipped back, left them, and he came and he played with my daughter. And it was just the coolest moment. And he really is such a genuine human being. Um, and he's always just been so gracious and his story is so inspiring. I mean, coming from someone who couldn't get a job because of his disease of drugs and alcohol to now 
look at him. I mean, environmental stuff. I mean, philanthropic stuff. I mean, he's a freaking Iron Man for crying out loud. Like, changed cinema forever. Forever. And he's just a good dude, you know? So I'm hoping that my kids follow in my horror obsession. Um, my first horror movie was American Werewolf in London when I was eight years old. Gave me nightmares, but it was worth every nightmare. Uh, Pet Cemetery was right after that. Also gave me nightmares. Worth the nightmares. What other ones are you watching now? The one I haven't watched yet and I want to is The Terrifier uh, with Art the Clown. The black and white outfit. He doesn't talk, but apparently it's the most gruesome kills of any horror film in a while. Like, should have been rated NC-17 level. And I'm like, I'm I'm so down. Like, I can't wait. And they just did the trailer for Terrifier 3, which the director said is the most gruesome kills you'll ever see. And I'm like, let's go. I like a lot of the, like the like, like psychological stuff, like the uh, a movie called The Collector, I thought was great. Rob Zombie? Rob Zombie wasn't the collector, no. No, uh, but I, I like but I do love I do love I do love like House of a Thousand Corpses. Um Rob's got a cool vision. I mean th- I think his Halloween take was great. There's certain horrors that you just can't mess with the originals, but Rob is such a fan of horror that I liked his take. I don't know, like there's some horror that's just so campy you just can't. But like I my youngest saw Five Nights at Freddy's and I'm like you need to let me know when you're watching this stuff. She was at her friend's house. I'm like, what? Like, no. Let me watch these things first before you watch them. I know you're 11 and you say you won't get nightmares, but I don't want to have to be up with you all night while you're having nightmares. I will, but like, let me know before you want to watch something. Or let's let's watch it together. And I can kind of tell, okay, I could see her reaction. We're turning this off. Um, like, we all just watched... Uh, Venom. They wanted to watch Venom. And I thought it was, that's fine. It's not that gruesome. You don't see him biting the heads off, really. But, yeah, they're still in the Disney Marvel world, you know. My youngest is still into princesses and stuff. But they also like action movies, too. Uh, So, we'll see. We'll see. But I am definitely, uh, I'm not pushing the horror on them, but but I kind of hope that they love horror as much as I do. That'd be cool, seeing it with them. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Cool. AJ, thanks so much for coming by. Dude, thank you so much for hitting me up. I mean, this is awesome. Can we expect a solo tour too with the new album? uh, There will definitely be a solo tour. I'm hoping to take it all over the world and uh, the album will be released globally. Uh, First first EP, uh, February uh, is when that's going to happen. And then the second EP will probably be later next year. And then uh, the full LP in the uh, fourth quarter. And when's the um, first singles coming out? Uh, it'll be also February. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to put the single in. The single will be kind of a feature off the EP. Uh, and then we'll go from there. We've, we've already shot the music video for it. So we're ready to go. Do you have the album artwork? Going to be shooting it actually. The first EP is uh, is is self-titled and it's called Good. Uh, I'm not going to say what the second EP is called, but it will it'll it'll all make sense. So the first EP is called Good. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. AJ, thanks so much for coming by. Thanks for having me, man. Everything's going to be linked down below, guys. Go check it out. And we'll see you later. Lightweight. Later. Out. Cool. Thank you so much. Heck yeah, man.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.